Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there. The Rewatchingtons, bomb in its full Ooh. and unadulterated cut, early drops of Cinephobe episodes, and so much more. You said the OG pod. Now, is it new or is it old? Mace, I'm glad you asked that. It is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old OG pod. Oh. So it's me, Zach, Trey, Waz, Tom. I love those guys. Just like we always were. Going back to the True Hoop days, mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic, recapturing it, and putting it back out. We're talking hoops. We're talking pop culture. And most importantly, we're talking for 40 minutes for free. Mm-hmm. But then another specific Patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes. Funny enough about that OG pod, you're getting Tom and Trey on Mondays. You're getting me and Waz, aka Zosny, on Wednesdays. Amin's floating in between. I'm a floater. You never know when you're going to get Amin in those, so you got to listen to them all. And what if I'm not sure what Maze looks like? Because I've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora. He's got a weird voice. How can I see for myself what this Maze character actually looks like? It's crazy you don't know the answer to this. Hmm. because it's the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. What? The CT5s on the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. You can look at all of us. You can get all the OG pods on YouTube too at CountTheDings1 on YouTube, at Cinephobe Pod on YouTube, patreon.com slash CountTheDings gets you everything all in one feed. You can link it to your Spotify. And now enjoy the show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Ornovitz. And I'm Tom Haverstrow. We're getting down to it, Tom. Down to five contestants. Actually, four plus at this point. Um, the contestants are on their way to Telluride as we speak in the parallel universe where the show is actually being recorded in real time, even though it was probably months ago. And, uh, you know, we're at that point in the season where it's sort of, uh, uh, you know, a, a lot of really good chefs and uh, you're, you're picking nits to, to make distinguishing uh, judgments and like what's going on. Yeah, I feel like this is almost exactly the same juncture we are at with the NBA season where it's the dog days. People are getting restless. They're, they're cranky and they're actually 
to extend the metaphor, just like teams are at the trade deadline, having to evaluate their weaknesses and their strengths and try to pick up and, and, and clean up all their mistakes. Top chef guys, they had to do it this week too, is they had to look at as one of the challenges kind of do this montage throughout the season and all that stuff. And it seemed a little bit like filler to me. Not a whole lot went down on this episode. Um, and I'm not a big, like, horror movie person or i'm not a big like spiritual like ghost guy so like yeah, this, neither am i this one didn't really light my world on fire yeah it didn't either i mean it seems like so they've established some real themes and one is that the food this season hasn't been all that good like we've seen tom i, I think more than one time now remark that he's getting better food in last chance kitchen than he is on the big stage and on center court and that's to steal a word from you, Kvetch. Is he kvetching? He's kvetching he's a little bit. About he's getting better food in the, you know, I mean, which kind of poses a question. I'm thinking about what Hershey Ash, our friend, said a couple of weeks ago during Restaurant Wars, is that Last Chance Kitchens just requires that you be a cook. And the center court, main stage, whatever you want to call it, requires that you be a chef. And like being a chef's harder than being a cook. And I wonder if the limitations and concentrations of Last Chance Kitchen are just producing better food. But he's – I mean, am I correct that the judges seem to have expressed – I mean, all season long, everybody's a little cranky. Padma wants to know why Fatima's not making better South Asian food. You know, this one wants to know why, like, the food hasn't been elevated to what a professional chef could do. This is stuff that an amateur chef – I just feel like it's been a – it's funny. There's been a lot of harmony in the house itself, but I – feel like the judges have been kind of uh, just unimpressed uh, on, on a wide scale basis. They feel like they're not getting great food. Yeah. And, and, and uh, um, you know, the, the, the quick fire, as Tyler Anderson told us early on on this podcast, go listen to that podcast. If you have not, Tyler Anderson came on and described like he hates quick fires. And with this one, it seemed, I, I don't know, um, way way above the creativity threshold for Bruce. And it was clear Bruce is going through the motions. It's been apparent for the last few weeks where, you know, there's been a lot of talk about him and having his first child and the, the emotional roller coaster of being through that on the road and not being there for the birth of his ba baby son, Jude. And, you know, he's asked to be creative in this quick fire. And literally he says, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to make up a story that he <laughs> that he's afraid of seeds as a kid. What was that? Yeah. So just just a review for our, for our listeners who, for some reason, haven't watched the show, but actually listen to us, which is <laughs> completely deranged. If that is you <laughs> is the, the challenge is they drove the contestants to the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, which is kind of on the doorstep of Rocky Mountain uh, National Park. And it is the site that inspired The Shining. It's this big old hotel that's kind of haunted. Stephen King allegedly had. A, a terrible nightmare that inspired The Shining, and uh, Shining is a kind of iconic horror movie in an American pop culture, maybe the the most iconic one. And so they they had each contestant create a dessert that portrayed their worst nightmare. And you're right, you know, Bruce, and, and we're going to talk to Bruce Kalman. So hang out if you're if you're uh, if you're just tuning in, because uh, Bruce Kalman will be here shortly. Yes, and uh, you know. I just want to cook. You kind of get the feeling there's certain <laughs> contestants on the things. Just let me cook. Um, to which I always wonder, when you're asked to do something thematic, whether it's something from your childhood, whether it's a nightmare, whether it's paying homage to X, Y, or Z, or, 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 or some sort of narrative nod to your food, are you better off just saying, screw it, I'm going to cook something good, I'm going to completely blow off 
the challenge's premise. And so long as I don't screw up the food, they might slap me on the wrist for not abiding by the actual nature of the challenge. But they're not really going to send me home or put me on the bottom because... You know, my, my, my vision on the plate didn't conform to their requirements. I mean, and that, that's sort of the great question. Can you really just kind of blow off? Are you better? Like, would Bruce have been better off blowing off the challenge's premise and just doing something in, with, that's very red and saying, oh, it's gory? Yeah, yeah. And, I, like, he could have come up with, like, when I was a kid, I ate a, like, I ate a marble by mistake. And so now every time I eat a seed, I, I think like, oh my God, I'm eat I'm chewing on like a marble or a piece of pebbles or something like that. Just to, just to give it like a more convincing, plausible story than, yeah, here's a really delicious plate of food and there are pomegranate seeds in there. And also I'm, I was deathly afraid of seeds when I was a kid. Like what? So I do admire his 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 willingness to completely just lie <laughs> um, because it was just it, it kind of just didn't inspire him. And, and I, I would I would imagine I, I might feel the same. I don't even know. I was trying to think of myself. What would I do in that situation? Like, what are my childhood? I have the same childhood nightmares as everybody, which is like like you didn't drop the class. Yes. Like you didn't drop the class is sort of was my early stage, um, which was, was sort of my early stage, my my mid career nightmare is like I, I just blowing deadlines basically yeah I'm really boring yeah i also get the one where you you wake up and it's final exam day and you haven't studied and you forgot about the class the entire semester you're like oh I right gotta. like you forgot to drop it like that was sort of the one yes exactly right. and um other childhood like do I, you I have guess, nba nightmares do you have like nba journalism nightmares uh, um Oh yeah, all the time is like when we were in the heat index. So we, Kevin and I, covered the Miami Heat from 2010, uh, that 2010 2011 season, the big LeBron James movie taking his talents to South Beach season. And um, I would wake up in the middle of the night, like tweeting, like a dick pic, or tweeting like. <laughs> Tweeting like like thinking that I tweeted some horrific like inside um, like knowledge, something I shouldn't have tweeted. And I just wake up in a panic and a sweat in the middle of the night being like, oh, my God, that tweet just went out to like hundreds of thousands of people. And, and now I'm going to be fired. Like I had those like I guess I would characterize them as like dead spin nightmares. Right. Like you, you wake up. Be and Brett Favre. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so that was always my thing was like. I get the sweats in the middle of the night being like, wait a minute, did I, I got to check my phone and I grab my phone. I put in the the password and I'm like, oh, I didn't open up Twitter. So besides that, I think I get the common one when I was a kid, which is like uh, the naked one where you show up to school and somehow you don't have any clothes. Did you get that one ever? This is going to sound weird. I'm kind of, I think it's a gay straight thing. I, I don't, I'm not embarrassed about it. Like I, I base, I'm not a nudist, but I just don't like, the idea of being nude in front of other people and it being embarrassing is just weird to me. Like it's a very millennial <laughs> sort of weird straight person problem. Like Bomani Jones, our friend from ESPN, I saw him uh, at the National Association of Black Journalists Convention. I was there in 2012 and he was doing a panel in New Orleans about this very thing, about it was showing like, he was up on there with AJ. Well, no, he no, he was it was on a panel with AJ Delario, formerly of Deadspin. Um, and they were talking about, you know, I, I think the topic was, is is there, you know, Deadspin historically had a very white staff, um, which always made sense because Deadspin was, uh, you know, an entity that deered toward a very, you know, as Bumani said, it's a very Caucasian sensibility and it's okay. He wasn't saying it was racist. He was like, for instance, he's like, you know, one of the things Bumani said is like, 
the idea of being like scandalized by dick pics, which at the time was, you know, Brett Favre and there had been a bunch of others and Odin and, and the others. Yep. He's like, that's a very Caucasian experience. And imagine Bomani's voice here. I'm not going to try to do Bomani's voice. Like, that's it's a very, very Caucasian, Caucasian experience right there. Right. Like, I really don't think it's, it's happened to black people. It's not. Right. And his point was, is that it was something that would be a source of endless amusement um, and, and scandalization and something to talk about. Oh, my God, Brett Favre, can you believe he, 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 he texted a dick pic? And I think what he was suggesting is, is to non-white people, and I would put gay people in this category, it's just like, eh. Whatever. Whatever. Like, so I never had the naked nightmares because largely I just, it just, it's a weird thing to be stressed out about is like being naked in front of people. Like I just, it's like everybody's got it. Like what, what's the weird thing? Anyway, so. Well, no, do mine you, were you always, had, you've been hiking a whole bunch in your life. Have you had yeah, I the have hiking the falling one? ones? I, the falling ones. Yeah. Like falling is something go. like from like great heights is a total nightmare I've had like woken up. Yeah. That one I've had. Anyway. So they did this. Um, Chris. Chef Chris comes out with like the most macabre, crazy ass, <laughs> like a gingerbread man looking like a crime scene, like the cover of the Clockers novel, like crazy, just bizarro thing, and, and won the and won the whole thing for it. Yeah, like Padma kind of looked like a tarot card reader or something. Like she was like, "I love the way your plate looks. It's exactly the way I was looking for." And I was like, "Oh, you are creepy." Padma was really creepy. This like she conformed to the theme of the entire first half of the show. Like she was creepy. Yeah, and, sitting in the corner of that room, yeah. and I think even Chris was it Chris or Bruce who walked in and was like, "Yeah, no." This it was is like weird. she 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 taken a second all or something. It was just really kind of bizarre. And um, Carrie couldn't get anything. Didn't get all the elements on the plate. Uh, Bruce overthought the challenge and ended up with a, a, a panna cotta that looked like kind of gore pudding. Um. And uh, Adrian did a very lovely job with tree branches and, and different textures and, and did a gorgeous plate. And uh, Joe Mustache did an egg yolk ice cream that I am dying to try. Yeah, that looked good. That looked I really mean, good. It, it, I, it didn't look like a shattered egg fetus like he was uh, trying to go for, but it was definitely really – it looked awesome. Uh, Michael Vitaggio at Inc. in Los Angeles, former Top Chef winner, does has an egg yolk gnocchi on that menu before. I, I think it just recently closed, but maybe it didn't. I think it did. And uh, I, I'm in general the, the egg yolk subgenre of food. Not just, oh, an egg yolk is on top of this asparagus with pecorino. I'm talking about like egg yolk as its own standalone thing. Egg yolk ice cream, egg yolk gnocchi. I'm a huge fan of egg yolk things, so... I, I, I was a big fan. Um, it seems like the larger theme right now, though, in the sh- in the show is we, we're sort of divided into t- the technical chefs, Joe Mustache and Adrian, and the rustic, whole uh, homey chefs. And I would put Chris, Bruce, and to some extent, Carrie, who kind of does her own thing. She's sort of a subgenre of, of kind of mountain standard cooking, if you will, kind of, you know. Uh, and and, and that's sort of, that is sort of the two the two tracks right now. And it looks like the technical people are winning. And um, I mean, obviously Chris acquitted himself very well in, in the, in the, uh, in, in the quick fire, but, but struggled and finished on the bottom with Bruce in the main event um, where there were three very good dishes, apparently cooked for governor Hickenlooper of, of Colorado, sometimes mentioned as a dark horse candidate for the 2020 democratic nomination, by the it's way, got to get a better hairpiece than that though. Ooh, that's, that's, that's cold, man. Oh, I'm sorry. As I feel like someone who's losing hair, I, I can say that because he's a brethren of mine. But it did that not come off as you like? Did you not I see that? 
I you didn't notice? To, I'm, now I'm gonna have to totally rewatch. By the way, I mean, can we applaud both of us for kind of taking control of our baldness? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if you saw. I posted on Instagram. I played peekaboo with my island table with my yes. daughter, and I smashed my head on the bottom side of the table, and I'm, I was bleeding. It was ugly. Well, you were like stitches. No, not stitches, not quite, but I definitely got my bell rung where I was like woozy for a little bit. And then um, my daughter, who's a year old, she was just laughing at me. So that was fun. Um, it was a very humbling moment as a father was like, yep, well, I am just here for the entertainment and the clown clowning uh, for in, for my daughter here. So uh, right now children are merciless, Tom. I know. So right now my my my. My hairline, my bald, my receding hairline is is not too sharp because it's now scabbing over. Um, you got the widow's peak going on, so yeah, it's it's receding as well. Though I'm I'm, I'm at this point, I'm just kind of going for the uh, Tom Colicchio look, basically. I uh, it, you know, it's funny. We talked about Carrie a lot last week, and she's a really interesting contestant. I, I'm sort of really drawn to Adrian right now because I think there are two kinds of chefs on Top Chef. You get the fully formed juggernauts. You get the Voltaggios. My Lynn. May Lynn is, is another one who's just like, she came in and she's crushed start. I'm talking wire to wire, 65 games, put it in the win column. That's who they are. But I think also interesting are the chefs who grow over time. And I'm thinking from Top Chef Boston, I forget which season it was, like Melissa. You know, she was a chef who, you know, didn't pick up a lot of wins, but kind of little by little, but it had enough technical skill to kind of grind her way. Not even so much grind, but but played enough error-free ball, but also un- but still struggled, found herself on the bottom or or didn't find herself on the top. And it's been very interesting to watch Adrian, who got, you know, has gotten beaten up a little bit over the course of the season. They had not enough salt, completely under seasoning. Yeah, this was a good instinct, but you did it wrong. And and uh, by her own admission, doing really derivative dishes, stuff that reminded her of things her mentors have done. All do, and watching her kind of come into her own, and she just is. She didn't win. Uh, she did not win the elimination challenge. That went to Joe Sasta, who seems to have regained his footing and did a mo- the most gorgeous pasta. Put the beet greens. We we see beet ravioli sometimes. Like we see. People put the actual meat of the beet, that maroon, in, in a row. He decided to use the beet greens and fold it in, not fold it, but put it into the dough, which created this lovely kind of like earthy green um, texture. And it was just a, it was the most gorgeous dish I've seen, uh, you know, evoke the beet, that maroon and, and forest green kind of together. It was just a beautiful Colorado plate. I mean, if you were ever going to design a dish to serve to the governor of Colorado, this was it. Like it's a summer mountainy dish that was hearty. And he wins, but Adrian really, it seemed like, came in a strong second with her monkfish that she paired with a venison Jew, as she said, come up with a hearty fish that can stand up to the to the gaminess. I mean, she just that was the dish I wanted. That's the dish I would have ordered had those five things been on the menu. And 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 she's really coming in her own. I don't think she's going to win this competition. I think, but I, what I am now convinced of is she is going to be eliminated very nobly on a on a day in the next couple of weeks where we had three lovely entrees here. We had, now we're at the point in the competition where we're just, it's the small things. And I, I think it's nice to see that. I think when she does get eliminated, it's going to be on a small thing, not a big thing. Yeah, and she, she lesson with the seasoning and the salt. Uh, she still hasn't won yet. She's gone 10 rounds without a victory, which almost seems mathematically impossible, but uh, she's got basically two uh, two highs, two finishing in the top three in the last three weeks. So she's got some momentum coming in here, a little bit of momentum. 
Well, yeah, she is a very particular kind of contestant and kind of archetype of Top Chef contestant. Again, they, they grow over time, kind of find your voice over the course of the season through air. You're not you're not placing first a lot, but you are sort of, you know, you are consistently cooking food, maybe picking up a quick fire now and then. Uh, but it's nice to see her two out of the last three, you know, finish up top and she's just making her she's making her best food when it matters the most and you know what monkfish might be in my nightmare category that is a scary looking fish when she grabbed it off the shelf i was like oh it's disgusting looking but i do love do you like eating it and i love yes the monkfish liver is like one of my absolute with ponzu and i actually made it here and i had to like take a tweezers and i actually so i went down to the fish market and got monkfish liver one day at like six in the morning where they do all the fish from the port in Los Angeles. And it's where all the chefs go in and in Japanese restaurants go get their fish down in Skid Row and here in Los Angeles. And I and I was very ambitious. I, I actually bought like this big schlong of monkfish liver, um, which is a terrible image. I'm sorry. And, <laughs> I say. and then I, you know, I washed it in sake and in soy and really had to boil. And, and you have to take these ugly ass veins out of the monkfish liver. And then you do that foil thing that you see they do and you have to steam it. Like I put it in a... In a and I made it for the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Andrew Hahn is actually, if you go on Andrew Hahn, our friend Andrew Hahn, on his Instagram, he took a lovely photograph of my Ankimo with Ponzu and, and Scallion. So I've made monkfish liver. I've never actually made monkfish. And that just, it, she's just a, I, I'm just, it's fun to see a chef kind of develop. It, it's, it's you know, over time. It's like watching Donovan Mitchell come into his own or something. I mean, she might not be that talented, but but the the, the project of not just seeing great chefs, but seeing chefs that, have really nice attributes, but, you know, don't really put it together to the final weeks. Um, and so that's been fun. Carrie continues, because I got to say, I looked at that plate when it came out. I'm like, oh, this might be the week she goes home. Yeah. And then it turns out she gets real simple. I mean, they were like kind of three component parts, but she the shishito blueberry, like she's just really smart at keeping kind of home hearty food but with a twist there's always this one twist never more than one she brings and, in the spice again from the uh what was it the habanero um uh eggs benedict from a few episodes she's not afraid to bring in some the spice sh- the shishito with the blueberry compote though i yeah. think it was a compote i mean just there's always one little twist with her and it's it, but it, you know it's it's funny and and at times you know it's unambitious kale salad or what did, what did Joe Sesto say? Let's say a couple of times. I'm not doing. What did she do that? That or the toast? Yep. And yet, Fancy there's toast. always there's always enough of a twist to elevate it, but never too much. She's kind of the anti mustache Joe in in many respects, but it's working. Um, the two bottom finishers were Bruce and Chris. Chris inexplicably. So there were two things that were just the two chefs who finished on the bottom did two completely inexplicable cardinal sin uh, things, which was. Chris decides for the first time in his life he's going to make pasta. Can you imagine? What the hell, Chris? What are you thinking, Chris? You went on, like the whole season. It's cook my food, do my food. And then right here when there's five people left, you decide I'm going to do things I've never done before and just wing it. Really amazing. And then Bruce, the ultimate Charlie Brown football. It wasn't risotto, but decides he's going to do barley in lieu of risotto or in lieu of pasta. It's undercooked. I, I think the, the, the stress, the com, and then that stress was compounded kind of by he got into a rush. I oversalted the barley. Um, he overrested the duck probably because he had to attend to the barley. And, um, and yeah, uh, and Bruce gets eliminated, which is just a shocker. And we're going to have him very, very shortly. 
Yeah, I felt like Bruce was he was ready to go. Um, you know, they came they came back to Last Chance Kitchen and, and uh, Tom Colicchio asked him, you ready? You want to win this thing? And he's like, yeah, I, I do. I I, I think I want to win this, but really it kind of felt like I, he said it many, many times on the show. He just wanted to go see his kid and you know, it, you could see the energy, the creative energy just completely get sucked out of him over the last few weeks. And I got to imagine, uh, that was really hard because I know he wants, no one goes on top chef. Yeah, but wanting wait, to can, lose. We just, can we settle something once and for all? Cause it came up with Tanya's elimination. You're still held hostage. You don't get to go home. You got to go into the bullpen and into the peanut gallery. Like they don't let you. They don't put you on a plane. We got to ask him that because when he got kicked off a of Last Chance Kitchen, which spoiler alert, sorry, spoiler alert. Um, when he did that, he was like, "Now I get to go see my kid." I don't really. We're gonna have to ask him that. Yeah, and, and again, I don't know that you know we, we're gonna pull back the curtain on this, but uh, but uh, oh, there's Bruce Kalman. Um, should we call Bruce Kalman? Let's do it. Kevin, um, I don't know if you saw this. Well, you had to have seen it because you've talked about it. The Pack Your Knives t-shirt from Cotton Bureau. I am very excited about the Cotton Bureau Pack Your Knives t-shirts. I am all over the gymnasium gray. I am about to order about a dozen of them for people in my life. I am I am taking orders from loved ones on size. Uh, if you are a fan of the show, I imagine having a Pack Your Knives t-shirt is, is, is a great conversation piece. I've gotten one for uh, a couple of the other Leverage of the Chat shows, and they're super comfortable. And I know I sound like I'm shilling for Cotton Bureau. I'm, but You're I, not. You know why? Because I am wearing a Cotton Bureau t-shirt right now. It has the state flag of California on it with a little bear. And I looked in it this morning, and just by coincidence, I, you know, I like this is the t-shirt I enjoy wearing around the house. And it is a Cotton Bureau t-shirt. In other words, a t-shirt I would wear even if it did not have like a logo of something I liked on it. So if you want a t-shirt... All you have to do is go to bit.ly slash P-Y-K shirt. So that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash P-Y-K shirt. So that's Pack Your Knives shirt. Um, or you can hit up hit us up on Twitter. We'll show you the link there. But go get your Cotton Bureau Pack Your Knives merch. You can get um, – I think it's in three different colors. Uh, so if you want – if gray is not your thing, we have other colors for that too. Um, and this offer ends soon. So definitely go get yourself a Pack Your Knives shirt. It's super comfortable. I actually – like now, now that I'm a dad and I guess this is a 30-something. When you get in the 30s – you tend to just wear things that are comfortable, you know? You just like comfort. And one of the great things about Cotton Bureau is that they're super comfy. Yeah, and by the way, by the time you get into your 40s, you just go naked around the house and you don't care. <laughs> that's basically how it works. But yes, in but your how 30s, are you going to sell merch that way? You're not. That, that's a really poor way to sell merch. Nudism is not good for clothing sales. We agree. Uh, B-I-T dot L-Y slash P-Y-K shirt. So go get your Pack Your Knives shirt. And go get it now. We're joined now by Chef Bruce Kalman, uh, executive chef at Union, where, where Tom and I, I, I don't know, I, I can speak only for myself, Tom, probably the best meal I've had this year. Um, well, it was good. It also helped to be highly intoxicated by the end of that. Uh, yeah, the pairings were, were well, 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 well chosen and, and well consumed. I, I will we say that. that. We do that well, for sure. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Let's share our secret. We get people fucking hammered, and then they, <laughs> you know, they remember only the good things. So uh, there were a lot of good things. The squid ink lamash. I still thinking about the Brussels sprouts uh, with the romesco. Still thinking about uh, to say nothing of the porchetta and everything else. Um, that was wildly extravagant, and uh, and it was wonderful to be a guest at Union. Um, I want to ask you a question that I, I I sort of always wonder with well established chefs, which is why subject yourself to the indignities of a reality show, whether it's bunking with a bunch of grown men and being, you know, sequ- you know, sequestered for for days and days at a time. Uh, I, I just, I, I mean, here you are. You're you, you've won you you've gotten recognition from the beard uh, beard awards. You have you know essentially succeeded in every American time zone in 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 a, in a grand capacity. What's in it for you to go on Top Chef? Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer, and I'm here to talk to you about Butcher Box. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Um, you know, I had to put a lot of thought into it because I've done a lot of competition shows. And after the last one I did, I said I'm never doing it ever again. And so I decided to do the one that's the most grueling. <laughs> um, but, you know, I consulted with, with Brooke Williamson and Michael Voltaggio because they were, uh, they were kind of, you know, on me about, you know, Hey, you should really do this. And so we had conversations about why, like, why would I do it? And, you know, the reality is that uh, a few things, you know, in, in this industry, especially this day and age, it's so important to remain relevant um, yep. and you know, that kind of publicity doing that show, I mean, that if you compare the amount of exposure I got, if you, if you monetize that, I mean, I don't think I could ever afford that kind of PR, you know, to pay somebody and it's, uh, pretty incredible and it gets butts in seats and, you know, it's about promoting a brand. And I, I feel like, you know, what I've done on that show is represent myself really well. 
as a professional, as a as a good person. Um, I didn't get involved in the too much of the drama, and not that there was a lot to begin with, but you know, I really. It, I, I feel like it's important on a show like that. It's almost as important as winning, you know, and doing well on the show is always keeping your head up high and, you know, having dignity. Are you seeing a difference on, on you know, after the holidays, the dog days of winter, if you will? Are you seeing a difference on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays at Union, uh, oh, yeah. mid- January and February? Big time. Really? That's interesting. Oh, yeah, big time. And, you know, it's it's. It's exciting. You know, it's exciting. It's an exciting show. Um, you know, I used to I used to really want to do it like, you know, way back in the day. I mean, like when they were still doing like season four and five, I'm like, oh, I'd love to do that show. And, you know, it, it was just now was my time, I guess. And it was definitely challenging, you know, and I think, too, it's it's kind of like if I don't do it now, I won't do it. And um you know, it really, really uh, taught, I, it taught me a lot about myself, and it pushed me in ways I haven't been pushed before. So, um, you know, I think all in all, it was a really incredible experience. I made some amazing friends, and, um, you know, the, I my biggest fear going into it was that it was going to be a house full of ass clowns, and, <laughs> you know, and which I It seen. was, it was, but in a good way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, not, not in a way that's like, you know, I've seen people doing stupid pranks, like wiping chocolate on the toilet seats and shit like that. Like, I just don't have the time or patience for that kind of junk. It's stupid. You know, it's childish. And I, I'm, you know, glad that I, I you know, instantly uh, latched on with, you know, Tyler and Joe and these guys. And, you know, we, we're still like close, you know. So. Your Twitter profile, the banner, I think, is a picture from the show when you found out that Joe Flam was eliminated. Is that right? Yeah. Why did you choose that? That's so touching to me. Um, I think it really embodies like where we were at at that point in time. You know, I mean, I, I for, I tell you, I mean, like, again, having done a bunch of other shows, I, I've done shows where mostly it's like you're there for like one day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even best new restaurant, like, you know, when you when you watch an episode, it was a couple different challenges, like one in and the restaurant, one in New York on the same episode. But we really don't spend a lot of time with the other people, not like this, you know. And you really get close with these people, for for better or worse. And um, where it's like, yeah, of course, you know, people, you want everybody else to go home so you fucking win. But but at the same time, it's like, you know, and it's not like we're never going to see them again, but it, it's still it's emotional. You know, it's like, you know, Joe, he's undoubtedly like one of the most loved guys that was in the house, you know, and he's just such a great person and fun and funny and caring and, you know, and he's a good hugger. So, <laughs> like. You know, it's it was definitely emotional. I mean, it would have been if any of those guys went home, you know, especially when it got down to that point where it was like top eight, top seven. Anybody goes home and it's an emotional thing, you know. Yeah. And I and I got to imagine because you uh, you went through such a big life moment, too, with uh, your son, Jude, being born while you were out in Denver on the show. 
Yeah. It kind of felt like to me, Bruce, that your your mental energy was sapped by the end. And in the confessionals, you said as much is just I want to go home. Um, did you feel like your heart was in it at the end there when you had so much family life going on back home? I mean, my heart was in it, you know, and, you know, it's kind of like when you're, you know, like going into the restaurant, you have to leave your shit at the door and yeah, not, for, yeah. not for your personal. But this is very different, you know, and um, it's not only that I didn't get to, to meet him yet. It's a grueling shoot shooting schedule. Um, and it's uh, the time that I would have, you know, to be able to call or or do a FaceTime and see him was far and few between. So it, and it got to a point where every moment that I was able to do a FaceTime he was asleep, you know, and it's like, it's one, one thing, <laughs> so for me, cruel, which welcome to being a father. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, so it was one of those things where, you know, I, I think if like we already had a kid and it was another baby, it would have been different, but this was like, my wife and I have been on this journey for a really long time. And I've dreamed of the day forever of having a child. And then now, you know, the other thing is he, the, the original C-section was scheduled for June 19th and we wrapped the next day. So I would have been home, you know, a couple of days after, and he ended up, you know, being born a month early. Oh, wow. So that's where things got a little funky for me. And it just got really hard. I didn't think, I didn't think it would, but it really did. And not only that, but how taxing it was for my wife to have to deal with all of that stuff without me being there. You know, it's, it's a lot. And, you know, um, not, not to mention it's an adoption situation. So there was a ton of legal and logistical stuff that had to get done. And, you know, like I remember she, you know, like basically the rules were we could do phone calls when we were only at the house which wasn't often to be honest. And so there was a point where like to get him um, to be uh, released from the hospital, she needed some information from me to where like she oh, had man. producers and I can't remember what, which challenge it was after maybe the Olympic challenge. They pulled me out of the stew room and it got me on the phone because I had, I mean, I had to, I didn't know, you know, I had to answer these questions. They were personal questions that needed to be answered about my family and all that kind of stuff for him in order for him to be released from the hospital. And then you had to go to the judge's table. And then I had to go to the judge's table. <laughs> um, oh, man. It was a good episode, though. I, I think it was that one. I think it was the Olympics. But um, in any event, you know, it was, uh, it was definitely trying. The whole thing is just trying, you know, and, and, you know, tack on that, I mean, the anxiety and stress we all had, all of us. I mean, nobody, there was nobody there that was like calm, cool, and collected while we were waiting outside the kitchen to be called in, you know? Yeah. And uh, so it's, you know, things like that. I mean, it, it's it's just so many things piled on top that makes it difficult to where you just, 
I, I did definitely didn't phone it in. I didn't throw in the towel. I just made poor decisions. And, um, and in yesterday's episode, it kind of steamrolled from the barley, basically the, the barley issue I was having started to panic. And I, you know, I think if I was in the right headspace, I would have made a different decision. I would have not put it on the plate. I would have adjusted my dish on the fly and, and, you know, even though it was on the menu that way, I would have explained what happened and said, I, I didn't want to serve this to you because it wasn't right. So here's what, what I'm serving you. Yeah. Question. And, did you have to declare the barley ahead of time? Like, had you walked out and, with, with, you know, and done something to supplement the plate? So the duck was still featured, obviously, but you didn't have the barley. Would they have said, where's your barley? Or do they not really know what you're doing? No, it was on the menu. Okay. They had a menu. However, you know, again, after every episode while we were there, we were like, I should have done this. I could have done this better. You know, should have, could have, would have. And we always look back in retrospect. And, you know, looking back on it now, I'm like, I should have just left it off. I mean, at the end of the day, they don't, it's, they're not judging you on what the, you know, menu adherence. They're judging you on how does the food taste. And so had I left the barley off and just focused on the other parts of the dish, I would have, I probably would be in a different place. Uh, do we count the barley fiasco as a? It, does this belong in the risotto curse category, or yes, do, yeah, is there a subgenre of the risotto curse? Category? I mean, as soon as Bruce said the word risotto, I I, was like, I, oh. I shed a tear. I was just like, oh no, he's out, he's gone. Forget it. It's funny because on best new Re- when I did best new restaurant, um, I did uh, uni risotto for uh, one of the challenges, and I but I nailed it, and. Tom loved it. Uh, someone, ah. uh, Amar did an Udi risotto on the finals. That he, though he didn't win the final, I think he got huge marks for his Udi. That, that was the one successful risotto, I think, on Top Chef was like Amar's Uni risotto, if I'm correct. Maybe I'm getting my things. Um, you, you know, yeah, you said- I, what happened with me was um, I had uh, – so I had – hold on one sec. Um, basically, the night before when we prepped – I wanted to toast the barley and give it a nice toasty flavor mm-hmm. and it was already a dry product. And then I, by putting it in the oven, I dried it out even further. And what I should have done was soak it overnight, but I didn't. And, and then com- couple that with the altitude, everything takes longer to cook. It's everything water boils at a lower temperature. So, um, it just, I, I cooked that barley for almost an hour and a half and it was still not cooked. So, um, anyway, Bruce, how did you get over your seed nightmare as a kid? <laughs> that was a good story. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I, and I know I said this, but I, I don't work that way. And I never have, I, you know, you can't say to me, make a dish based on the color yellow. I'll be like, okay, it's going to have egg yolk and something else yellow. And, you know, like I don't, I don't work. My, my, my brain does not work, work that way. And so I think that that whole thing definitely threw me too. Um, and did you know I, that going into the show, like shit, I got to come up with like these weird narratives for my dishes. Oh no, I made that shit up on the fly. I, I like, <laughs> I saw what was in the kitchen and I'm like, this will be a good, stupid story, you know, <laughs> but, um, that dish sucked. I mean, it was, it was the worst thing I made an entire season. Hey, so but, it, you kind of bring up an interesting point. I, I wonder if, uh, you know, it, it, you know, Joe Sasto says something that chefs often say in the outtakes, which is, 
hey, food is about telling a story. And I kind of imagine Bruce Kalman in his mind saying, no, like, no, food's about food. That that we we ascribe too much narrative to this, that it's a journey. Like, no, you pick ingredients and you cook. And I kind of got the sense there were times on the show you were impatient with the sort of, you know, the, the restraints or some stupid narrative uh, story that needed to be told. It's just like, let me just fucking cook. And, and I tell you what helped Chris. And I know we talk, Chris and I talked about this, so I have no problem saying it. But his story is what, for the most part, like sold the judges on his dish. Um, he was the only like they were basically like he's the only one that you know oh, brought yeah. another chef you know inspiring him to do these things. But you know uh, I'm not. Ty, Ty goes to the runner on that one. Ty goes to the to yeah. the storyteller on that one. Exactly. And and you know that show it's it's a mind fuck that show a lot of times it really is and it's you know, putting not a great dish together, but something that adheres to the challenge and really adhere, truly adheres to the challenge. That was a lot of the chat stuff I had issues with from time to time in the beginning anyway. And, you know, it's not just about that. It's not just about making a great plate of food, but it has to make sense for that challenge. And, it, you know, it was definitely a great experience, but, you know, I, I prefer to make a dish and have it tell you a story. Like it reminds you of this time when you were a kid and this happened. Mm. Um, that's that's more what I what I go for. And if you don't get that out of it, then you just get a great plate of food, and that should be enough. Uh, I asked before before you came on. Uh, I asked some of our Twitter followers if they had any questions for you, and Rapetzel uh, at R A P E T Z E L asks. Did it feel harder to compete with so many existing judges' relationships, almost like there's more to lose than other contestants fighting for initial recognition? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, that's in my own head, though. You know, and it's funny because, like, while I was there, I felt like Tom was kind of giving me the cold shoulder a lot. And I know Tom. And maybe that's why I felt that way. And maybe he was maybe he was in a way, um, you know, to kind of you know, separate that, that relationship. I mean, I don't, we're not like, but like overcompensating. Yeah. We don't call each other every freaking day or anything. I mean, but I, when I see him, we talk, you know, and, um, and he's an amazing guy, you know, but I think that a lot of that was in my head because when I watch the show, I don't see that, you know what I mean? And I think I just put that pressure yeah. on myself really, you know, and I, I don't think everybody asks me those questions. Like, you know, do you think they judge you harder? I don't, I maybe maybe I felt like they did, but I don't think they did. You know, I think that they. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I think where it it plays against me is that they know what I can do, food wise. They've had they've tasted what I cook, and you know, when they get something that's not up to par, then they they you know in their head they're probably comparing it to that. Uh, Tom's coming to town. We're going to watch next week's episode in my living room. We're both getting back. We're, um, we're both getting in Los Angeles on Thursday. Me back from a trip. He coming. Uh, I want to take him for dinner afterwards. Now, I am in Echo Park, so you know I prefer. I mean, I could go to Calmer or try another Top Chef uh, Los Angeles restaurant. But, you know, probably prefer to stay Hollywood and East downtown. Uh, by the way, could do kind of doesn't have to do something chefy. I could take him out to San Gabriel Valley to, a you know. And do like a beef roll or or something or dumplings, right? So where where am I taking Tom on Thursday night after our show? 
Have you been to Parks Barbecue in in K Town? I, I was just there for a friend's birthday party. Uh, that's a good one. You know what? It's that, a really good one. That could be good. It's just such a zoo. Yeah, but that's why. Like, are we good. gonna wait for an hour and a half? Like, I don't wait. That's kind of my thing. I don't wait. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I don't trust wait. Me. I feel you there. I get impatient. Man, I don't wait. I will book a reservation at 10 a.m. when the moment that Ludo's tickets go on sale, and I'm, I'll be like at my. I'll do whatever is necessary to get the reservation and set my alarm. But like, yeah. I, I don't want to wait. Yeah. Um. What about downtown? I, downtown's my I mean I'm five minutes away Broken Spanish is awesome You like Broken Spanish Yeah okay I like um, That one's by LA Live right Yeah it's right I by It's right by Staples man it's, I mean you can walk To the game um, from there And I don't know I don't know how late It's open but uh, Charles Ovalia has Rice Bar It's tiny I it's love like, Rice Bar I, I went there uh, for lunch I always go there for lunch That's just a lovely Lunch situation awesome. He's he's great too He's an awesome guy Those are great bowls I mean that is just my, yeah. One of my favorite lunches in Los Angeles. I'm with you. Um, Barama is really good. I love Barama. Except my only complaint with Barama is they took the goat off the menu. <laughs> they took the guy. He takes the goat off. You take the goat off the menu. Right. Have you been to Badmash? I'm sorry? Badmash. Oh, up in, uh, up near, uh, up on Bunker Hill. Near the, uh, up there. Uh, that's a, no, that's an Indian. Yeah, they're right by, um, uh, Viviana. Yeah. That's another good option. All right, I'm, I'm going to come up with something good for uh, good for Tom. I got to impress Tom. Uh, yeah, you usually are really good at this, so you find, you have high expectations. Do this. Before, Before, you know, oh, have you been to um, Pine and Crane and Silver Lake? I, I have I have been to Pine and Crane and Silver Lake for kind of Asian uh, Asian standards, kind of reinvented in Is a there casual setting. You haven't been. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll tell you, I have not. You know what I'm doing? I'm doing on the 20th, actually, a couple days after I see Thomas. I'm finally doing Vespertine, uh, kind of a birthday-ish kind of treat celebration. And, and at those prices, it better be really freaking good. Right. Um, I uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I feel I haven't been to Felix yet. I haven't been to a lot of the places over in Venice and Santa Monica. Felix, like it. Is it? Yeah, Felix is fantastic. Might be a little bit of a schlep, depending on where Tom's staying, but we can do that. Anyway, this is boring for our listeners. Kind of well, I want, I, can I ask Bruce, when, when you guys did like the, the dad Olympics, where <laughs> you had to <laughs> change a diaper and stuff, like as a new dad myself, I have a, a 12-month-old here. Okay. What, was, what was the most fun or some of the things that was on the cutting room floor during that surprise that once you I found can't. out you were going to be a dad, like what were the cool things there? The best thing that we did, uh, which I can't believe they didn't show, was they had a bunch of diapers with numbers on them, and they melted candy bars inside. Oh no! And you had to like, you had to guess the candy bar. Oh! You open it up, it looks like a diaper full of poop, and um, that was kind of fun. And then um, we did a, a baby food blind tasting, and I won. <laughs> Congrat! We we were just talking about this le- the last episode. Bruce is what are some of our favorite challenges on Top Chef and the blind taste test ones. Uh, both Lynn and Kevin, you're big fans of it, and that was kind of it. They should have shown that the blind taste test and trying to snuff out the the diaper candy bar. Yeah. Duty. Yeah, I know. Way better than the diaper changing race, but it's all good. That was uh that was fun. I'm I'm I was happy that that was nice of them to do that. Yeah, so there there was what the the milk what was the milk the bottle thing you had to drink oh, Mary's out of the bottle. Lattice. 
yeah. but we, it was hard to drink out of them. So we just took, <laughs> we ended up screwing the caps off and just drinking at them. Oh, what's next for you? Unions rocking. You Unions anything else in the work? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm part of this new project called the House of Machines. Uh, it's opening in the Arch District, and it's a really hip uh, concept. Uh, they have a couple um, abroad, one in Cape Town, South Africa, and one in uh, um, Niseko in Japan, ski village. And it's this really cool concept where, like, I own the kitchen. We have doing breakfast, lunch, dinner. There's a amazing cocktail bar. Uh, Bad Birdie is her uh, handle on Instagram, Amanda Collum. She is phenomenal mixologist, and we're doing these really awesome cocktails aged in oak barrels. Um, and then we have coffee from Evil Twin Coffee in South Africa. And then we had there's a dude, uh, LA Speed Shop, Chris Richardson. He's building motorcycles on site. And we have a partner with Fender, and we're going to have live music. And we have an event space and a cool speakeasy. And it's just, it's such a really cool place it's you know all about rock and roll and motorcycles and tattoos and you know the thing i love about it the most is that people are going to come in here and get food that they're not expecting because yeah, i was going to ask you bruce because like that's not a food first kind of venue right i mean it's a community space it's it's this that or the other you're a chef chef so i, I mean how do we what, what, what's so appealing about it to you um because it, it's it's a I, I like the idea of this fun casual atmosphere that brings people in. It's definitely going to draw people in. I mean, I'm I'm here right now, and people walking by, everybody pops their head in here because it looks so so bitching. And um, you know, I'm going to do what I do and serve the food I serve. And and I think the idea of serving food like that in a non traditional environment is pretty cool. And can you? It's a great brand. I mean, they, they have great branding, and, and it, it's just a, it's a great group of people. Can you bring in Tyler to do some punk rock music? Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Um, how, how often have you seen those guys uh, or the chef testants? You saw them on the opening night? Is that, do I have yeah. that right, that you guys all got together for the opening? Yeah, and then we you went out to go see right. Fati and do the uh, Cachon, right? Was that you? Yeah, we did. Um, actually, I went out. We went out there to do uh, dinner at James Beard House. Me, me, Tyler, and Joe, and uh, we did a dinner Goldilocks and the Three Bears at the Beard House. And uh, Tyler's pastry chef, Kristen, was the was Goldilocks. And um, so we did that dinner. And we did uh, while we were there. We were judges on Echo Shone, and then we also shot the Harry Connick Jr. show, and did. Um, Porridge three ways, you know, too hot, too cold, and just right. So, which is one of the dishes we did for the Beard House. And then um, Tyler. Which is the gimmick that you did on Last Chance Kitchen, too, or Tom did. Kind of, yeah, exactly. And then um, myself, Tyler, and Fati are doing a, a lunch together at Pebble Beach Food and Wine. Nice. And then we're going to go directly to Rogelio's restaurant and do a dinner with all of us and Brother Luck. And so we've got a bunch of things we're working on. I know. Um, Joe Flam and I are going to do a dinner together in April in Chicago, and I know Joe and Joe are doing a Joe. Uh, uh, Joe a, squared. Yeah, they're doing a Joe down throwdown or something. They say they call it at Spiaggia, and so it's fun. You know, it's cool. It, I like that. 
we all from the from day one most of us clicked you know and you can see it on the show you can see the camaraderie and you know we all were kind of like we had discussions about it we're all like you know let's win this fair and square you know let's 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 all do this together let's you know because you see you see you know people in the past you know throwing other each other you know in putting each other in bad situations and and you know jeopardizing things and you know, this was more of, hey, you got, you know, helping each other out. And I really like that because that makes it, you know, it just makes it more fun. It feels better to be there, you know. Tom, doesn't it sound like Byron Scott or some of the old timers like Charles Barkley should be bitching about how uh, contestants now, they're all, there's too much camaraderie too nice. on the show. Too, too nice. Remember when a rivalry on Top Chef was a rivalry and chefs hated each other? Back in the day, it was better. Um, too much AAU ball. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. Bruce, this is really exciting. Uh, I, I'm going to bring my partner up to uh, Union very soon because uh, I, I was sort of crowing about that meal for a couple of weeks, and I need to bring him up. And yeah, well, uh, I, I will let you know when that happens. But um, you've been very kind to, to, to join us, and uh, we've, we've, we've loved watching you on the show, and uh, it's been a fun season. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Bruce.